You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? We are back here for another edition of Locked on Tigers. I am your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. We have another player breakdown for you today. We're finally going to get into some pitching. I don't know why. It wasn't intentional, but for whatever reason, the first, however many people we've done, four or five players we've done, I I was only doing hitters, and uh, I, I went to the old... Twitter group chat and was like, hey, who should I do today? And uh, we, we, we landed on Casey Mize. So we will be doing Casey Mize today, our first pitcher in this series. We might just rattle off all of the uh, the, the three-headed monster of, uh, of Mize Manning Scooble to, to do this. I don't know. I don't know. I, I never know until like an hour before. Well, that's not true. Until like the morning of, I guess, and I do research throughout the day. On uh, in between work on uh, on on whoever I'm going to do. So I, I I'm not going to promise whoever's next, but today I can promise is going to be Casey Mize. So thank you guys for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the Spotify Green Room app and find one of our Locked On rooms. Okay, let's get into Casey Mize. Former number one overall pick in the 2018 MLB draft out of Auburn. We're going to start right off with the innings pitched because I think that's an important thing to uh, to, to bring up. He pitched 150, I believe, innings uh, this year. Yeah, 150.1 innings, 150 and a third this season. Uh, and I, people were frustrated about, oh, you know, he uh, he he was on a short leash. He, he was on a short leash in in September and in July. Both was uh, Hinge putting very heavy and strict innings restrictions on him. He he would only go through one time through the lineup for those two months, um, and that is because when you look at his inning, he has not even come close to pitching 150 innings even, and that was with two whole months of the season being on a very heavy innings limit. He has not even come close to that inning, uh, whatever you want to call it, threshold in his entire life. Going back to high school, he obviously never even came close. And then at Auburn, his freshman year at Auburn, he pitched 69 innings. That's pretty nice. At 2017, he pitched 83 Innings 2018, his draft year, he had 114 innings pitched. And that is the most of his entire career up until this season. Uh, Then in the minors in 2019, he would pitch 109 innings. And then last year in the shortened season, getting called up halfway through, pitched under 30 innings and was not very good. So I I just want to say I fully support and understand the innings limit that was put on him. I think that's important to bring up because, again, 150, even though it, we're, we're, we, were, we were spoiled 
with the uh, with the Justin Verlanders and Max Scherzers and and even you know Rick Porcello was an innings eater. We got spoiled with some of those guys for so long. People are like, oh, what? He's he's 24. He should be pitching. He has never even come remotely close to 150 in his life. So I, I very much understand this decision. Hopefully he can he can get a good little offseason workout routine going that uh, that Federer and, and Hinch have set up for him and come in next year and give us closer to 200. I, I, it makes total sense and it is very very reasonable. His uh, his this is also going to be the first because it's the first pitching one. We're going to look at. Some, uh, some again, trying to accommodate for both for for every type of fan, no matter where you fall on the the stats in advanced analytics versus not advanced analytics, which stats you use and don't use, etc. Going to try to accommodate for everybody. So looking at his just normal base level stats, he had a seven and nine win loss record, a three seven one ERA. That is in thirty starts, one hundred fifty innings, as we mentioned. Had a hit per nine of 7.8, a home run per nine of 1.4, a walk per nine of 2.5, and a strikeout per nine of 7.1. That's a strikeout to walk walk ratio of about 2.9, just under three there. 118 strikeouts and 150 innings. Um, that And 24 home runs given up in the 150 innings as well. 24 homers in 30 starts. You'd like to get that down. Uh, in theory, in in Auburn, he was uh, n- nowhere close to that. In Auburn, his his draft year was his worst year, home run year, as far as the uh, the ratio. Well, his his freshman year, he had a one point two home run per nine. But but you know that that's a freshman. He only started seven games. He came out of the bullpen for a lot. Uh, in in uh, in twenty seventeen, he had a zero point eight at Auburn. Um, it, sorry, in twenty seventeen, he had a zero point four. At Auburn, and then his draft year, he had a 0.8 when it came to the home runs. So that's a little bit high of a number. Over, I mean, almost one and a half home runs per nine innings is is something that you definitely want to cut down. Definitely want want to cut that down. He was also giving up a lot of homers early in the season. Kind of flattened it out at times. Went through stretches where he wasn't giving up very many homers, but but definitely something. Uh, one of his biggest things he's going to have to work on this offseason, to be honest with you, one of the biggest things that jumps off the page immediately is the home run numbers. That's a that's a pretty high number there. Um, like I said, almost one and a half per nine innings is, uh, is, is, is not fantastic. He was only usually going about five-ish, give or take an inning, uh, innings a start, so... Um, that's something again that that will that will he will go deeper and deeper into the games and that will progress as he uh, develops and, and gets more comfortable with a more with a heavier inning workload. So that's not really something that that I thought was alarming or anything. I thought that was mostly just the coaching staff um, more than anything and just where he is at developmentally. We'll get into some of those stats later, but he was uh, he he really struggled the third time through the lineup as a lot of pitchers do, especially young pitchers. Um, but we'll get into that in the third segment. His whip was 1.137. Not a bad whip. 1.1 is 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 not not horrible, but not you know uh, uber fantastic either. That's right around kind of kind of an average whip, solid and uh, solid enough. Uh, his walk numbers are are those those aren't bad. Two and a half walks per nine. Certainly not. Um, egregious by any stretch. Pretty solid walk numbers there, and 7.8 hits per nine 
is, uh, is, is not too terrible either. The interesting thing about Mize this season was the strikeouts in my eyes. I thought that was one of the most fascinating storylines to kind of watch was the, the fact that in college he was able to carve anybody up, especially with the splitter um, and, and the, the, the tunneling between the splitter and the fastball. Uh, 12.2K per nine his draft year at Auburn, 11.7 the year before that, his age 20 season. Uh, and so far as a pro in 2018, well, 2018 he had five starts, but I guess he had a 9.2 strikeout per nine there in, in like high single A in, uh, in just five starts in 2018 after being drafted. Um, and then in 2019, when he went from high single A to, uh, and then obviously through the no-hitter in his debut at, at Erie, he had an 8.7K per nine. And then last year, first season in the majors, had a 7 ERA, but had an 8.3K per nine. And then this year, cut down the ERA almost in half, but the strikeout numbers plummeted. Barely a 7 strikeout per nine. That is that is low. That That is a, a, a low number, especially for a guy that went number one overall in the draft. So just something to keep an eye on for. It's, it's an interesting development. He did induce a lot of soft contact, which is why he got into a groove and had a, had a really good middle of the season. Specifically, his May was absolutely fantastic. We'll get into that in the next segment, uh, his May and June. But it, it is interesting to see the strikeout numbers take such a hit um, and, and cut down the walks a ton from his, his, uh, his first stint in the majors last year and, and is back to around still still comfortably higher to where he was his last two years at Auburn, but, but definitely cut those down a lot. Um, it, it's just the, the swing and miss stuff is interesting. It's really interesting that it is that that is one of the last things to develop for someone who went number one overall in the draft, but he was inducing a, a, a lot when his good starts, were when he was inducing a ton of soft contact and getting weak outs, weak grounders, letting the defense play behind him. Um, and it, I mean, he had a 370 RA to show for it for a, for his true rookie season, for his first full season in the majors. It's very, very respectable and, and, and not bad at all. It's just definitely something to uh, to keep an eye on for. We'll get into the, some of the more uh, nitty gritty, kind of deeper stats here. But first, I got to tell y'all about. Spotify Green Room. This episode is brought to you by Green Room. Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Green Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Green Room, watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You even find locked-on hosts across the NBA, MLB, NHL, and I'll be joining the app soon. So be sure to get started, and I'll meet you guys there. Go download the free Green Room app, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, join the NFL, MLB, NHL group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around your favorite teams and leagues. Cannot wait to join y'all. I'll be sure to let you know when Lockdown Tigers is live, so download the free Green Room app today. Green Room is changing the way that we talk sports. All right, everybody, we are back here for segment two of Locked on Tigers. I'm Scott Bentley, your host. Thanks for making Locked on Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. All right, let's get in back into Casey Mize. 
we're going to look at some of the uh, more underlying stats with him. As we said earlier, the strikeout numbers were, were a little low. Uh, but he did have... So, so when we look at a person like... Or a player like Casey Mize, and, and we see the 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 ERA. It, one thing that is very interesting to do is to look at their FIP, and FIP is uh, an, an adjusted kind of a stat that shows you what I actually we kind of talked about the 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 definition of FIP in uh, in, in some of my the Bo Brisky interview on uh, the RJ Pettit interview and stuff like that. So. Definitely some some you can go back and listen to those and get more of kind of a, a deeper dive into to FIP. But we know now after interviewing RJ Pettit that the organization loves FIP, loves it, and and tells their players to look at that even more so than their ERA at times. So his FIP was four point seven one. That is a whole exactly one whole point higher than his ERA, which was 3.71. So what that's telling you, if you look at projections for next season for Mize, most of them are probably going to be in the fours because FIP is, is the, the stat of FIP is telling you that uh, his ERA should have been, in, in, in this calculation, about a point higher. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he did not miss a lot of bats, right? If 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 you, the ball is consistently getting put in play, those calculations are gonna are gonna reflect that and say, okay, well next year maybe he he's not able to to maybe not all the weak contact that he induced is going to be weak contact that he is going to be able to to get ground ball outs or maybe there, there's more seeing eye singles and stuff like that. So, so that's an, an important thing to note there, is, is the FIP says his ERA should be way higher. However, if he's able to continue to induce soft contact, then his FIP, at the end of the day, won't matter as much. But in its current state, and after only one full season at the major league level, that is where he, uh, he, he currently stands. War is also interesting. I don't like pitching war. That, maybe that's just a personal thing. Maybe you love war for pitchers. I don't. I don't like war for pitchers. I, I think there's way too many variables, and the the difference between Baseball Reference war and Fangraphs war for hitters tends to not be too terribly much. For but for pitchers, it can be very dramatic, and we see that in in a in a very blatant example with Casey Mize. His war on Baseball Reference was three point three which is very solid for a rookie season. His Fangraphs war is 1.3. That's two whole wins difference. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that's different that we don't have to go down that rabbit hole today. Um, but it, it's basically just the stats they use to calculate it. Fangraphs is a lot more uh, very heavy analytical and deep into the predictive stats like FIP and stuff like that, whereas baseball reference isn't. So, that that is why the, the the war is so dramatic, but that's why I, I I don't really pay attention too terribly much to to pitching war. I, I think it's I think there's still way too many flaws within it. So moving on to bigger and better stats, one of the things that obviously is important to get strikeouts is to induce swings and misses. That that seems pretty obvious, right? So when we look at how often he was able 
to produce not even a, a, a swinging strike three call, just whiffs in general. He was in the 22nd percentile in all of baseball, which means 88% of pitchers were that qualified, that pitched enough innings to qualify, were better than him at producing swings and misses. His chase rate was the 17th percentile, which means, again, 83% of pitchers that qualified had an easier time inducing a, a, a swing and a miss on a ball outside of the strike zone. So those two are very low. Those are very low. 22nd percentile, and that's, that's bottom quarter of the league, and 17th percentile, bottom fifth of the league. Very, very low. And that will, uh, again, obviously help with raising the strikeout numbers. Those are That's another thing that he's going to have to work on is is just the the swing and miss stuff in general, getting people to chase. Maybe maybe it's a pitch mix thing, mixing his pitches up so that he can um, get in ahead in the count more. Just do more damage with with swings and misses than just inducing all that weak contact. And again, he, he was he was pretty effective. He had a sub four ERA. He he was he was pretty effective with it. But that's the next step, I believe, in his development is to start getting a lot more of those swings and misses. Now, the important thing, well, there's a lot of important, all this is important in my eyes, but one of the important things is looking at the pitches individually. One of the most advertised pitches, probably the most advertised pitch in this entire organization has been the My Splitter since he was drafted, right? So looking at the My Splitter, this year, it is still very much in good hands and still very, very above average in elite territory when compared to the rest of the league's splitter throwers. And as it, 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 it drops about three and a half whole inches more vertically than league average, which is a, an 11% increase. That is astronomical. He is he is doing he is doing fine. The splitter is fine. Now he went away from it for a little bit and came back. He he didn't really throw it there in the middle of the year and then came back to it kind of in, in in July and, and August. But uh, I, I don't want people to think that this is like oh he's never going to be able to induce swings and misses. No, his his, his pitches is fine. The four seamer. I had an average velocity this year of 94 miles an hour. That's very respectable. He has a decent curveball. He has a decent slider. The, the curveball is above average when it comes to vertical movement. The slider is exactly average when it comes to vertical movement. The sinker that he has is above average when it comes to vertical movement. He has plus stuff. I'm not trying to scare people into saying that always. I'm just saying the next step for his development is going to be doing better at that. And then looking at horizontal movement, it's 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 all plus stuff as well. The splitter, 9% of a more of a break than the average splitter in baseball, a whole inch difference than the average. That's a lot, especially for a slitter, a very up-down pitch, having that horizontal movement as well is great. His four-seamer is, is kind of a cutter, kind of a, a cutter or running fastball, I guess you would say. Almost two inches of horizontal movement on that. That's 24% more than the break, the horizontal break of the average fastball. Very, very good there. 
Uh, the curveball is about league average. The slider is two inches less than. That's that's the one pitch. He has average vertical, slightly below average horizontal. That might be something he has to work on. And then his sinker is 12% more on horizontal movement. And like I already said, 3% more on vertical movement. So he still has plus stuff. He has the ability to do this. I think it might just be more learning how to pitch in the big leagues than it is stuff. So I just wanted to, that was important for me to bring up because with all this talk of, of maybe struggling to induce swings and misses this past season, I don't want to make it sound like he doesn't have the ability to. He absolutely does. All of, almost all of his pitches are plus pitches. He can do it. It's just about the pitch mix and learning to be a big league pitcher. And, and he was on an innings limit for a lot of it too. That I'm sure that had something to do with it. So do not be alarmed. Do not, do not fret. He, he is fine. And, and I, I think that the next step of his development will be to, to achieve that. And I think he will achieve that. All right, let's get into some of the, uh, some of the more, more interesting stats that I found. Kind of our, the third segment I've, I've realized is just kind of my fun like situational stats segment. Uh, and he's got some interesting ones as well. But first, I've got to talk to you all about Bilt Bar. I love Thanksgiving. I do. Maybe my favorite holiday. Not a lot of pressure of buying gifts or anything. Just a lot of family getting together, eating a lot of food, having some ginger ales. It's fantastic. All the good food, treats. But maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar after your big Thanksgiving feast. It's the perfect time for Built Bars. Built Bars is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it after. One slice of pie is upwards of 300 calories. And that's on the low end. Most built bars are only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and have plenty of protein to go along with it. So replace the coconut cream pie with a coconut built bar. Or go for the raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, covered in 100% real chocolate. Built bar is a great option when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, get go for Built Bar or two. It's one of my favorite lunches, man. It's a lifesaver. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make it things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. Just give Aunt Betty a Built Bar. She'll 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 maybe maybe she'll she'll straighten up a little bit. Okay? New surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com are regular. They arrive all the time, and they're so good. So check the site as often as you can. There's nothing like a Built Bar and Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event. Well, all sorts of surprises on Built Bar going all day. So go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% off of your order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. And I got to talk to you all about our friends over at BetOnline.ag. They're back and better than ever. A new web interface to start off the basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. But online remains your number one spot for all your basketball and football action this season. Head to their new updated desktop or mobile site and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, and we are back for our third and final segment here. 
at Locked On Tigers. Let's get into some of the the interesting stats that uh, that I found. The situational stats, I guess you would call them, that I found when uh, when looking up Casey Mize this season. The first one that I came across that I found very interesting was his stats against righties versus lefties. Okay, so against righties, he had he had almost the same amount of plate appearances against both. So that's good. We we don't have a mixed sample size, anything to worry about. Faced him in all thirty games he started in three hundred nineteen plate appearances versus righties and two two hundred ninety three against lefties. So almost identical. Okay, so we don't have a sample size problem whatsoever. Against righties, opponents slash lines were a two fifteen batting average a 276 on base percentage, a 324 slugging percentage. That is an exactly 600 OPS. That is incredible. That's very, very good, especially for a guy in his rookie season. Only 16 walks against righties, 62 strikeouts, uh, gave up seven homers in 319 plate appearances, maybe cut that, that, that down one or two. But for the most part, that's really solid. Single digit amount of doubles, uh, extra base hits as a whole was 17. Just really, really solid numbers against right-handed hitters. If he was doing that against both sides of the plate, this this would be uh, uh, the, he would have comfortably won Rookie of the Year. It wouldn't have even been a vote because this was already a relatively weak American League Rookie of the Year as is. Okay, but against lefties, he really, really struggled. And I guess I didn't realize until taking a deeper dive into this. I knew that he was better against righties than lefties, but I didn't realize how dramatic it was. Lefties were were hitting, hitting, hitting off of Casey Mize this year. The slash line against lefties was a 256 batting average, a 322 on base percentage, and a 523 slugging percentage. 523 slugging is very, very high. That's 17 home runs, 11 doubles, four triples, that whatever. That's just being a pitcher in Comerica. But 25 walks as well. Almost 10 more walks in 2030. Less in 30. Fewer plate appearances about um, having 10 more walks against lefties and 6 less strikeouts. So the strikeout rate's about the same for both sides when when you consider the 30 uh, plate appearance difference. But 10 more walks... Against lefties, and then the most alarming thing—alarming thing—that's the word—is the extra base hits. Eleven doubles versus nine against righties. Four triples versus one against righties. Seventeen home runs versus seven against righties. Lefties saw him very, very well. And like I said, the strikeout numbers, rate-wise, are about the same. But he gave up. The, the slugging is, is that's a 200-point difference in slugging. 40-point difference in batting average, a 50-point a difference in on-base percentage. Those are, are relatively large, but, uh, you know, that big of a difference between uh, a rookie right-handed pitcher is, is somewhat understandable. A 200-point difference in slugging is something we're going to have to keep an eye on for. That's an 845 OPS left-handed batters had off him in 2021. The home and away splits are about the same. He was actually better on the road than at home, which I think is a little bit weird considering how big Comerica is. His month-to-month split, this not something we need to take too much time on because 
because of the innings limit and, and July and September being so much lower. But his opponent OPS month by month in April, again, I, I said this pretty much with everybody so far. Everyone was horrible in April, so I don't take much stake into it. But he had an 836 opponent OPS in April. May, he had a 490 opponent OPS. The uh, people, the, the batting average was 162, the on base was 252, and the slugging was a very impressive 232. Again, so a sub-500 OPS in May is absolutely fantastic, obviously. June, 752. You'd like that to be a little lower, but it's not alarmingly horrible. July, 663, but that was with a heavy innings limit. August, 889. And that's, again, that he went back on the innings limit in September, had a 639 OPS, but I don't, I don't even think he made a start past like the fourth inning for all of September, so... That's that's really just one time through the lineup, but but 889 in August. That's really again just showing you that they made the right decision with going back to the innings limit, the innings restriction, kind of limiting him. He, he may be starting to get a little tired, leaving the ball up a little bit more. Definitely a good decision that we should all support and not complain about all summer. It was so frustrating seeing so many people complain about the innings limit. Oh, just let him go. This is very clear evidence that A.J. Hinch knows what he's doing and Chris Fetter knows what they are doing. Uh, Wins and losses, this one's not as big for pitchers or as interesting for me for pitchers as it is for hitters because the starting pitcher that day, on game day, is the most important player on the field. So obviously his stats... In, in wins are going to be phenomenal. He had a 521 OPS in his seven games won, a 939 OPS against him in his nine losses, and a 688 in his no decisions. That's very, very obvious. He's going to struggle on losses. He's going to be decent on no decisions, and he's going to be great on wins. That That's fairly obvious, so I don't take nearly as much, um, not stake, because it, it is, that that's not the right word, but uh, I don't look into that as much for pitchers just because that's like blatantly obvious, right? Um, I, I, I've gone back to saying obvious a million times. I'm sorry for whoever the, the person was when I first took over this job that DM'd me <laughs> and said that I say obviously too much. Um, run support. This one's interesting to me, okay? So his run support stats with 0 to 2 runs scored, the, the, when the Tigers scored 0 to 2 runs, he went 0 for 9. He had nine losses on the season, by the way. Let that, let, turn, turn, go walk up to your door, turn the knob, open it, and let that porcelain sink in. All nine of his losses, the Tigers scored two or less runs. All nine of them, 100% of his losses this year. He had a 5.79 ERA. Opponents had an 8.43 OPS and slugged 5.26 against him when the Tigers scored two or less runs. When the Tigers scored three to five runs, he had a 2.44 ERA and went 5-0. Opponents had a 6.43 OPS against him when the Tigers scored three to five runs. And when the Tigers scored six or more runs... He went 2-0, had a 2-5-4 ERA, and opponents had a 6-28 OPS against him. So a very direct correlation between 
his performance, wins and losses make sense, right? The team scores a lot, you win. The team scores a little, you lose. But what he can control, he can't control the offense. What he can control changed dramatically based on the amount of runs scored. And that's the part I find fascinating. An 843 opponent OPS with a 526 opponent slugging when the Tigers scored two or less. And then OPS is in the mid to low 600s when they scored anything above anything above two, three plus. I thought that one was uh, was pretty fascinating. And again, that's another step he, he will take developmentally. He will he will learn how to pitch better in those closer games, those those low scoring affairs. All right, I know we're getting late on time. There's a few more things that I want to go over here. First off. This is a great sign. This next one is a fantastic sign with runners in scoring position. Opponents against Casey Mize had a 162 batting average, a 239 OBP, and a 308 slugging. That's a 546 OPS. That is a fantastic sign. With runners not in scoring position, batters had a 765 OPS off of him. So when in, in those crucial situations where there's men on second and or third, 546 opponent OPS. That is beautiful. That is a, a great starting stone for, for him to build off of and to potentially get even better. With two outs and runners in scoring position, opponents had a 650 OPS against him. Again, great sign that it's already that low in his first true rookie season. Looking at his stats by inning is also pretty interesting. This is pretty stereotypical for a young pitcher. And something that as, again, as his innings get more and as he will get more of a workload and be more used to going deeper into games, it will improve. But it's just, it's interesting to look at. In the first inning, a 691 opponent OPS. In the second inning, a 776 opponent OPS. In the third inning, a 430 opponent OPS. Now that's usually because it's the bottom of the lineup first time through, but still, great sign nonetheless. Fourth inning is where it skyrockets. It goes up to an 806 OPS. Anything over 800 is pretty damn good. Fifth inning, 871. Then it gets interesting again in the sixth inning, a 609 opponent OPS. Again, that could be the the back end, uh, uh, the second time through the lineup for the bottom of the order. However, still a great sign. And then the seventh inning, it balloons up to a 913. And then he, he only had one outing where he made it into the eighth and he got rocked with like over a 1600 OPS against him. But that's only one inning. So that's again, once, once he, he's more used to going deeper into games, gets more of an inning load under him, is more comfortable pitching more innings on a season, I believe those numbers will improve. Just interesting to look at. And the last thing that I want to look at is the days of rest. His, his stats coming off a certain amount of days of rest. So on four days rest, opponents had a 259 batting average, 302 on base percentage, and a 506 slugging for an 808 OPS. He had eight games on four days rest. Gave up 11 homers on four days rest. Okay, so that, that's high. And that's something that that I'm not sure why he even got eight starts on four days rest with how much we were trying to limit his innings, but he did. Okay, so that's something, again, 
workload will get better on five days rest he had 16 starts obviously that's the traditional and most of his starts were on five days rest a 729 ops that's about around what it was for his opponent ops just on the season so that makes sense this is where it gets interesting on six days rest he had six starts this year on six days rest did not give up a single homer in any of those starts and his opponents had a 198 batting average, 279 on base percentage, and a 242 slugging for a 521 OPS. That's fantastic. Now, a lot of those six days of rest came when the innings limit was on. They gave him an extra days of rest, and they only let him go through the lineup one or two times. However, still a good sign nonetheless. Okay, so those are all the stats that I wanted to cover, I think. I think I got through everything I wanted to go through. Casey Mize. If you take one thing from it, just know he, he's, he's going to continue building the workload. He's going to continue to get better. He's going to continue to, to grow into that pitcher that can go deeper and deeper into games. Just because he didn't in his rookie year does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that he will not turn into that. This was just by far the biggest workload of his life. And he will continue to grow into that pitcher that we all think he could potentially become. Lots, lots, lots of pros for Casey Mize. And that'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. Next episode, I don't know who it's going to be yet, but it's going to be tomorrow. But today, make your second listen, Locked On MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you his unique perspective on the majors, both present and and pass. It's a free and available on all platforms. All right. I'm already way over time. Thank you all for listening. Uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow. Peace and love. Going to Therapy's Dope. And I will catch you all tomorrow. Go Tigers, baby.